0: Well, everybody, let's get a songbook. Let's stand together. Turn to 472.
1: 472. (laughs) Wonderful Words of Life. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful Words of Life. Let me more of their beauty see. Wonderful words of life, words of life and beauty, teach me faith and duty. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words
0: of life.
1: Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. to all, wonderful words of life, featherless to the loving call, wonderful words of life. All so freely given, moving us to heaven, beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life, beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life, please we echo the gospel call, wonderful words of life, offer pardon and peace to all, wonderful words of life, Jesus only forever. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life.
0: Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Praise God and thank God for the Bible. Amen. Wonderful words of life. We wouldn't know we wouldn't know anything about life if it weren't for the Word of God. I sure am thankful this morning for my Savior, amen. amen? Thankful to be saved this morning. Glad to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning. Good to see each one of you and glad everybody's doing as well as we are, amen? Need to lift up in prayer those who aren't able to be with us this morning. Are there any prayer requests that we need to lift up especially today? Anybody got prayer requests this morning? Yes, Miss Erica. He struggled pretty hard with his third to Right. All right. We'll lift her up in prayer. Y'all please remember to pray for my friend, uh, John David Howe. I've been with Facebook friends with him for probably a good good 12, 14 years. And I know most of y'all seen I posted there. He lost his, his son, who's, I think I think Joseph was somewhere close to 24, 25 years of age. He'd been in the wheelchair most of his most all of his life i think far as i know and, and uh but but it's just just a terrible thing i can't imagine losing a child at that age and, but praise god he was saved and loved the lord and, and uh, john knows where he's at today and you know and pray for that family they've got a little a daughter who is uh she's a nonverbal autistic and she has got a massive aneurysm that she was born with and they told them you know enjoy your time with her because she could be gone just at any time and so they've been, you know, she's 11 now, and they're they're living every day with that. And he's lost his son. So y'all please lift him up. He's a preacher as well. He pastors up in up in Virginia. So lift John David Howe up in prayer, if you would. Anybody else, Miss Charlotte? Okay, yeah. Miss Pam used to be a member of my church a long, long time ago when it first started out. Y'all lift her up in prayer as well, Miss Huh? Yes, we need to lift Dan and Anya up. They're not feeling well this morning. Lift them up in prayer that God get them feeling better. Also, uh, Miss Phyllis, pray for her, and, uh, and my aunt Mary Ruth, pray for her as well. Anybody else? And Scott, we need to lift Scott up in prayer. Uh, Trying to think, anybody else we need to pray for? Y'all got have any anybody on your mind?
1: All right. Well, let's go
0: to the Lord and Prayer. Let's ask God to. To meet with those needs and, and uh, deal with them and get those back to the house of the Lord. And uh, Robert, lead us in prayer this morning. Amen. You be seated. Time storm.
1: Ever near Shelter in the time of Storm Oh Jesus is a rock In a weary
0: land Weary land A weary land Oh Jesus is a rock In a weary land Shelter in the time Of storm Amen And he will be for sure Number 46 Turn over to 46 <clears throat> When I see the blood I will pass over you. Christ thy Redeemer
1: died on the cross, died for the sinner, paid all his two, wrinkle your soul. We'll be there To fit me
0: Turn to number 60. Number 60, the way of the cross leads home. Number 60.
1: Pick me up and throw me in.
0: Take your Bible this morning, and I want you to turn with me to uh, to first uh, to Second Thessalonians rather, Second Thessalonians chapter two, and we're going to cover two verses of Scripture this morning, and uh, it's going to take us a little while to cover those two verses of Scripture, but we're going to cover just two, uh, chapter uh, chapter two verse thirteen and fourteen. I thought we'd go all the way to seventeen this morning, but there's just no way we can. Uh, I want to I want to get into something this morning that's pretty deep, pretty deep, uh, and and I want you to pay close attention this morning because I don't want you to misunderstand anything I'm saying because the the things we're going to talk about this morning uh, people kind of get out of out of bent out of sorts if they misunderstand what you're saying and uh, I want to just start off this morning by making this statement. I am not, nor have I ever been a hyper Calvinist. Okay? Let me just say that right off the bat. I have never been a hyper Calvinist. I do not believe in hyper Calvinism. If I'm anything, I'm hypo Calvinist. I'm the other direction. Uh, you know
1: and,
0: and and I'll explain to you what I mean by that. I definitely believe in God's sovereignty. I believe that God got in God's foreknowledge. I believe that God knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. And it's in that capacity that we have to look at our, our study this morning of Scripture. Otherwise, if we look at things from man's eyes and man's viewpoint and man's uh, uh, temporary experience here on earth, we can't understand these things. We have to we have to look at these things from God's point of view, from the eternal now, from the eternal perspective to understand uh, what Paul is going to discuss this morning. But let's go ahead and look at it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13 and 14, i read those two verses of Scripture. Now, keep in mind, last, the last two weeks or are, are the, the, the part of this letter leading up to this has all been about whether or not they had missed the rapture, whether or not all those things, and Paul has just got through telling them, look, I've already told you all these things, and you know all these things, and now you know what's holding everything back. Of course, that being the Spirit of God still here at work in the church, having the restraining work of the Spirit of God, keeping the Antichrist back. And he's told him, you know what withholds. And and listen, God's going to take care of all that when he comes. And he said, look, there's going to be people that won't believe the truth because they didn't believe it when they had an opportunity. But he goes on from that. He moves from that thought, and he changes it. He focuses back on the church at Thessalonica. And here's what he says, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Why? Why are we bound to always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord? Because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he calls you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. I'm going to talk this morning about chosen of God, and we'll hopefully have some understanding when we get done. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, help me the next few moments. Lord, I want to be clear as I speak to your people. Father God, I don't want to be misunderstood. Lord, we need to slow down and study and not just preach. Lord, I pray, Father, you'll help me to teach and help me to to, uh, speak clearly and and bring these things into plain view, Lord. Spirit of God, we pray that you'll open our understanding, help us to receive them. Lord, teach us this morning. Give us an education this morning in eternal matters. Lord, as we walk away from here, we'll have a better understanding of your purpose and plan. Father God, I pray, Lord, for each one, Lord, that they would receive it, they would understand it. And Lord, I pray for the one out there listening in, Lord, that's not sure if they're saved. I pray today be the day of their salvation. Lord God, I pray you'd work now in our midst, Take hold of me, use me, speak through me, forgive me of my sins, and fill me with the Spirit of God. Use me for your honor and glory, and I'll give Christ all of the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'm going to get out of this coat, and we'll get into this message. All right. So, again, I want us to take our time. I don't want to get in a hurry. I don't want to get caught up in trying to preach to you that I don't teach you something. So and that may not make any sense but it makes sense to me so anyway let's let's look at this this morning these two this this passage that we're looking at uh some people refer to it as a system of theology in miniature okay it's given it, it it's given a comprehensive statement of god's saving purposes how God does what he does in verse thirteen there paul's giving thanks to the lord for having chosen these Thessalonican Christians, for salvation. Okay, that's what he's doing. He's saying, God, thank you for having chosen these people to salvation. And it's stated, what he's stating here is is really one of the most profound doctrines of the Word of God. Uh, Our salvation, my salvation, your salvation, it did not originate with our choice. I want you to understand that you didn't wake up one day and say, "I'm like, I'm gonna get saved today." That just didn't happen. You may it may have seemed that way because that's you know the day you wasn't planning on getting saved, but then that day you you got saved that day. But you didn't wake up expecting or planning on getting saved. See, the thing is, God willed our salvation before we ever before we ever existed. We we in the mind of God we've already been saved even though we hadn't even lived yet. Now, don't let that bother you. I know that may be hard for you to grasp at the moment. You may say, Well, that don't make sense. That sounds like you're a Calvinist. Thing. But no, you don't need to understand. God is sovereign, regardless of what we call ourselves or what we think about this. God the Word of God says what it says, and again, we're bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. God's divine choice was based upon his divine love and his divine determination. And that's that's all it's based on. It's not based on my goodness or your goodness. It's not based on my merit, your merit, our worth, or anything like that. It has to do with something that goes beyond uh all of those things. And Paul Paul gives thanks to God and he he, he says he's bound to, so he, he owes it he owes it to God. He's thanking God because of their salvation, because they're brothers beloved of the Lord. And uh and one of the greatest truths in the Bible is is simply this. Before we ever loved God, he loved us. That's, 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 that 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 may be hard for you to wrap your head around, but but God loved you before you ever loved him. You know, we're all familiar with John 3, 16, which says, for God so loved the world. And, and I know there are people out there who, like I said, are call themselves hyper-Calvinists. Some of them don't call themselves that, but that's what they are. And they try to take that verse and make it say, for God so loved the elect. They say, now, wait a minute. God, God didn't love those who, who weren't going weren't gonna to believe on Jesus. and He didn't die for them. He didn't shed his blood for them. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God so loved the world. Now, God does love the elect. That's for sure. God absolutely loves the elect or the chosen. But that's not what the text is saying. Okay? God loves the world. God loves the unsaved. Uh, he loves them all. First John 2:2 says that he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world, okay? So Christ didn't just die for those who would be saved. He died for the sins of the whole world. In 2 Peter 3, 9, the Bible says the Lord is not slack or not lazy, that's what it means, concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So there's no way to say that that God didn't care or didn't want those other people to be saved, those who die lost in their sins, that God just didn't care about them at all, because the Bible tells us that He's long suffering. He is very long suffering toward them, giving them opportunity after opportunity to be saved. And he's not willing that any of them should die and go to hell. He doesn't want them all to go to hell. He doesn't want any of them to go to hell. And that's why he gave his son. I mean, the love of God is mentioned over and over and over and over in the Scriptures. 1 John 4.10 says, Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So, Out of God's heart of love, in eternity past, there was a decision that was made, and it's referred to here as being chosen, okay? The original act of our salvation was with God. It wasn't with us. God set his distinguishing love on the elect before we were ever born. God made the first move. Okay? You didn't make the first move when it came to God. God came to you as we, I just got through saying He came to me. I didn't come to him. I didn't know I needed him. I didn't know I was lost. How could I know I was lost if I, if I was lost? You don't realize you're lost until you realize there's a place to be found. Okay? So God made the first move. When God shows us the salvation, I get this. When God shows, and God did, God shows us the salvation. You say, now wait a minute, you sound like a Calvinist again. Well, I'm I'm just sounding like a Bible believer because I'm telling you what God's word says. When when God chose us to salvation, he didn't choose us because we were loved. God didn't look down and say, Well, you know, uh, there are people who die and go to hell, but you're far more beautiful or wonderful of a person than they are. It had nothing to do with it. it had nothing to do with my with my sir my goodness or anything. It had nothing to do with that. It's not because God saw something in me or God saw something in you that he didn't see in other people. Why did God choose us? God chose us because he loved us. And that's a mystery. That's a mystery that's associated with his choosing us for salvation. And and nobody can really fathom that. And we can try. We can sit and think, well, he loved me because of, well, we couldn't really understand because, again, there's nothing about me that's any different from somebody else nothing about you that's different, that makes us better or different than somebody else. So really, truly, we probably will never fathom why exactly, but I, can, but I, have, a, I have a personal belief I can share that with you, I and mean, it ain't worth much, but this is my thoughts on the subject. I think that God, in his foreknowledge, because again, God knows the beginning from the end. In his foreknowledge and God's infinite wisdom, he knew in eternity past, if he gave his son to die for sinners, he knew ahead of time who would believe on him. He knew because, because again, he knew who, who would believe, he knew who would not believe. And his election is based upon that because he knew ahead of time. You say, well, how could he know? Because God knows everything. And, and, it, and it wasn't hard for him to know that. So it was a simple choice. If they will never love my son, I will not save them because they will not believe on my son they will not receive my love because they will not receive the gift of god which i will offer to them and i know that already You say, well why couldn't he make them different because if he'd have made them to do it then they would not be loving him willingly if you were happy, if you were pushed in any manner to love christ then you would not love him freely it has to be a, it has to be because you you realize what he's done for you and you receive the love that he gives to you but it's a glorious fact that God set his love upon us. Think about that. God loves us. He chose to love us. Ephesians 1, 4 describes it like this. It says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And the truth, of, the truth of it is, is, that, is, that God chose us. I mean, it's as simple as I mean. Listen, to, listen to Jesus talk about it in John chapter six, verse thirty-seven. Jesus said, "All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out." But listen, hear that: all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. So if if if, if it's one who is God's chosen. Then they are going to believe on Christ. So are they forced to do it? No, God already knew it in eternity past. You see, the the problem is, is we we start trying to we start trying to take God's choosing as being God God forcing somebody to do something, or God somehow uh, uh, moving on somebody and making them do something. But we're missing that it's not God making anybody doing anything. It's God providing the sacrifice, and it's God it's God offering the sacrifice to the one who, I mean, it's not that God didn't offer it to everybody because his salvation is full and free to the entire world. But when God offers it to those who he knows ahead of time is going to, who are part of the elect, they're going to believe it. You say, well, that can't help it. It's not that they can't help it. It's that God already knew it was going to happen. I, said, well, I just don't. I can't wrap my head around that. Well, God knows that. He gave you a finite mind that couldn't see eternity. But he said, he assures us, that all that the Father has given me shall come to me. He won't lose a single one, you see. John 6, says, no man can come to him except the Father that has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day." That means that the Spirit of God starts wooing and drawing that person who's going to come to Christ and be saved. He starts drawing and wooing and showing them that they're lost and showing them that they need to be saved. That's what Christ is saying when he says the Father draws him. The Father shows him, look, Jesus died for you. God, God makes sure that person hears the gospel. That God makes sure that person is drawn to him. And, and I mean, again, that's God's wooing, but God doesn't make him believe. Virgin said, Virgin said I believe in the, in the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, and we sail between the two ideas. Those things meet in the middle. It's not that man just says, Hey, I, I decided to get saved. They I'm going to get saved. I can get saved anytime I want to. That's not true. Except the Spirit of God draw man, he can't come to Christ. So it's, it's not all your choice. But again, the sovereign will of God has got to be drawn. These two things work together in concert. John fifteen, sixteen. Jesus said, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And ordains you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name he may give it to you so this is the reason why Paul is thanking God in verse 13 he's thanking God because these these Thessalonian Christians they have clearly shown by their testimony by their manner of living that they are chosen ones of God that they've been washed in the blood of the lamb that they are born again so again these young, these young believers at Thessalonica, they're reminded of God's grace in their election and salvation. It's, God's, it's nothing but God's grace. And the process by which God chose these Christians at Thessalonica and how they're brought to salvation is revealed at the end of, of verse 13. So let's look at that. How did God bring them to salvation? Well, he tells us through two things. He says through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Okay, so that's how anybody comes to the comes to be saved. The sanctification of the spirit, and that's a big word. And I know a lot of people don't use that word every day. Mm-hmm. Sanctification, but again, I've shown you before. This this offering place right here. This and is a sanctified, sanctified piece of wood. Okay, with with some felt in the bottom. It's just and why is it sanctified? Well, sanctified means that we don't use this to uh, for garage sales, pick up you know some people buying stuff. Put put your money in there. No, we don't do that. We don't when we get ready to play a game out back. We don't we don't wad up the numbers and put it in here and everybody come draw out this. You know you know why? Because this has a purpose for God. Now, I mean, it's just a piece of wood. I mean. It's, fancy, but it's set apart for a reason. And that reason only, which is to be used in the service of the Lord. That's what it means to be sanctified. God sets apart that person and draws them into his kingdom, into his family. So they're sanctified through the Spirit. They're set apart as holy to God, even though they haven't been saved yet. They're part of God's elect. God knows that they're going to come to him So they are set apart as something holy he's drawing to him to be saved. So how does God sanctify those who are bound for eternal punishment without hope before God? They were without God. They're under his wrath. How does he do that? How how is it possible to take these kind of people and sanctify them by the Spirit of God? Well, He talks about it in chapter 16 of John. He's discussing with his disciples the need for his going away. He says, nevertheless, verse 7 through 11, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's expedient or it's necessary for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father, and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. So, again, God is describing this process of how this comes to Christ. It teaches that when a person is coming to Christ, there's got to be a work of the Spirit done before he can come to Christ. Okay? That's the convicting work of the Spirit of God. It talks about he'll reprove the world of sin. Okay, the spirit, the spirit of God awakens a person uh, and, and enables them who's lost in sin to understand the truth of the gospel, though they're lost in sin. Again, you'd never see it. You'd never know you were lost. You would never know you were blind, as the song says, until the spirit of God makes you able to see. He's convicting. He's he's drawing. He's he's opening the eyes of a person's heart and showing them that they are lost in their sin. The ministry of the Spirit, listen to me, the ministry of the Spirit of God is not necessarily to convict us of sin or to make us realize what awful sinners we are. That's just part of the process. Okay? That's not the ultimate goal. That's just part of the process. But it's not the point. What the Spirit of God wants to do is to impress on an unsaved person the fact that he's not saved because he's not believed on Christ. In the process of that, yes, they're going to understand that they're lost. They're going to understand that they're sinners in the process. But they're going to realize that they don't have the Savior. That without him, they're lost. Without him, there's nothing they can do. This is this is the sin of unbelief. And John 16, 9 makes it plain. All right, it says of sin. He's going to convince of sin because they believe not on me. It's all about whether or not they believed on Christ or not. It's not about how bad or a sinner they are. It's about whether or not his sacrifice has been applied to their sins. So the Spirit of God's got to bring a person to a place to where they realize that the one obstacle standing between them and being lost for all eternity and and gaining eternal salvation, what stands between those two things is they don't believe on Christ as their Savior. That's what it is. It's not how bad of a sinner or how less of a sinner. It has to do with the fact that they've never put their faith in the one who's able to save them from their sin. Because salvation is a result of simply trusting in the Savior. It goes on to explain the ministry of the Spirit further. In verse 10 it says, Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Now, why did he say that? Well, while he was down here on earth, he was a living embodiment of righteousness. He did everything perfectly. When they studied his life and they saw the things that Jesus did, they watched righteousness in action. But again, Jesus wasn't here just to tell us about righteousness. The Spirit of God does that. Unsaved people have to be taught on the spirit of righteousness by the spirit of God. They have to know the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness, and that's the spirit of God's job is to show us those things. Again, we couldn't know we were lost without the spirit of God. We wouldn't know that Christ did all that he did for us without the spirit of God. They have to learn that God is righteous. They've got to know that. And and, and most of all, They've got to know that, that God is able to give us righteousness, okay? He can, he can justify us. To justify us, that word justified, it means just as if I'd never sinned. It makes us perfect and holy in God's sight. It declares us righteous, not according to our standard of righteousness, but according to God's standard of righteousness. It's amazing. Christ, who had no sin took the sin of us who, had, who was covered in sin and gave us his righteousness and took our sin and paid it for us. It's amazing what Christ did for us. And when a person believes on Christ, when a person believes on, uh, that on in the gift of God that Jesus purchased for us on the cross of Calvary, when a person believes and trusts on Christ, God determines that person is absolutely indeed righteous. The devil can't do a thing about it. You can't do a thing about it. You can't ruin your own righteousness that God has given you. And the, the ministry of the Spirit of God, what we read in chapter 16, it makes that plain. It makes it also plain that the ruler of this world is judged. This is a description of the victory that Christ won over Satan on the cross. Because Jesus died on the cross, Satan's judged finished he's done he's been defeated by Jesus on the cross and his 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 doom is is assured of I used to have a shirt that that said jesus beat the devil with a big ugly stick I like that shirt <laughs> and he did he whooped him with it amen the devil's a defeated foe <clears throat> now before somebody gets saved one part of sanctification is the work of the Spirit in bringing that person to the point where they can see that they can be saved? Okay. Again, um, until until the Spirit of God has showed you that, you may think, well, I got to work myself there. I got to be a good person. I got to do right. Most people think that. That's what they automatically assume. If I'm a good enough person, when I get there, God will weigh out my good and bad, and He'll decide that I'm good enough to get in there. But we all know that ain't true down deep. There's no way your your works can do it. it. It has nothing to do with it. It has to be Christ or nothing. And and again, when a person trusts Christ, at that moment, that's when the work of changing into what God wants you to be starts. It ain't before. It's after you get saved. When you come to Christ and admit you can't do a thing to save yourself, when He saves you, then the work uh, then the work of regeneration starts taking place in you. God changes you. Uh, but it doesn't happen until you get saved. Then again, step by step, little by little, we grow into the image of our Savior. God changes us little by little, but all of the salvation is done. We're made righteous in God's sight. Again, all of that takes place, and it ain't none of our doing. It's God doing that in us. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God And that water of the Spirit. When the first time you're born, you're born in a bag of water. The woman said, my water broke. Well, that's what she's talking about, born of water. Okay, that's the first time. It had nothing to do with the baptism. It's born of water in a bag of water, and the second time you're born of the Spirit of God. That's what that means. Uh, the person who was lost and spiritually dead, it now becomes alive. And now, rather than be dead, they have a brand new nature in Christ. And since they have that new nature, now they're fit to be set apart as holy to God. Because again, well, you didn't have that before. You couldn't you couldn't be anything to God. But because God has made you righteous, because God has made you holy, He has fit you for this. You you couldn't fit yourself. God fits you for it. And it's because of the Spirit of God working and making us what God wants us to be. Again, it's not us. It's Him working and Him finishing the work in us. It's His ministry. And he comes and he moves in and he lives in us to do that. 1 Corinthians six nineteen, Paul reminds the worldly Corinthian church that if they're, they're really saved, their bodies are the temple of God. They're not theirs anymore. Again, he bought you. He paid for you. He says, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? Have you forgotten? God bought you, that He paid for you, that He redeemed you, that He made you holy, that He made you righteous. Every single Christian, every single one of us is a sanctuary for God to live in. He wants to live He he lives in you and He wants to dwell in you. He wants to, to He wants your body to be fit for His dwelling place. That's incredible part of the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God. He sets us apart for His own dwelling place, His own sanctuary to live in. <clears throat> and because He lives in us, we're sealed. God's Word tells us we're sealed. Listen, just, it's a done deal. It's a foregone conclusion. It's we, we, the earnest of His Spirit. i told you this before. You know, if you buy if you buy a house, you have to put down earnest money which is money that you'll never get back. so if you fail if, if you fail to uh, complete the loan, you fail to, to, to go through with the sale, you lose that money. and most of the time they make it a pretty good chunk, ten thousand, twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars, so that it's like, well, I'm in this deal now, I can't get out. I'm not losing that. Well God has given you his spirit. He gave you the spirit of God to live in you, and he's not going to lose his spirit. He's there as evidence that you are a born-again child of God and can't nothing take that from you. His presence is is God's seal, his token of ownership. It's It's our security in Christ. In Ephesians 4.30, he exhorts us, he says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. The day of redemption is, is the day we go home, the day we go to see him, or the day we, we leave this world in, in death, however we go. But but it, it, he's, he's talking about that we're sealed until we see him, that nothing can change that. Nothing can change that whatsoever. And as far as our souls are concerned, our souls are redeemed right now. We're as saved as we're ever going to be, but our bodies have not yet been redeemed. But according to the Bible, the presence of the Spirit of God living here is god's we talked Paul talked about a manifest token and what we talked about that word manifest token that word that means evidence here, here's the here's the receipt i have my manifest token all right that that right there is mine and and god God said his spirit in us is the manifest token that we belong to him that he has he has left his property in us that we're his property and that he made a promise to us and that we're saved completely and that we're going to be transformed on the day that he comes to redeem our bodies. In 1 Corinthians 12:13, there's another aspect of the Spirit of God in his sanctifying work. The Bible says, therefore, by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and we've all been made to drink into one spirit. The very moment that you get saved, the Spirit of God takes that person out of their position in Adam, which is we're all sinners in Adam. Uh, we're in sin. We're under condemnation, and they take that person. God takes that person out of Adam and places him in Christ. We're placed from that moment, from the fellowship, from the brotherhood of man, we're now in the family of God. We're in the body of Christ. We become a living part of the organism that we call the true church. We're a part of the body of Christ at that moment. And and that's, that's, that's the Spirit's work, too. Again, I can't put myself there. I can't do any of that. I can't make myself a part of the living body of Christ. The Spirit of God has to do that in me. I belong to God. I'm His. And in addition to all that God provides for me in Christ and salvation, there's still the ongoing possibility. Look here. Of me being filled with the Spirit of God, there's a possibility of you not only being saved, but you can be filled with the Spirit of God. Not only has God done all that other, but He's telling you, Hey, I've given my Spirit to you. He lives in you. But guess what He can do? He can fill your life. He can fill your thoughts. He can fill your words. He can He can fill your He can fill your 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 hands with with good deeds. He can fill your feet with places to go for Christ. He can fill your he can fill your arms with things to do for God. Listen, God can control you and, and bless you beyond your imagination, beyond your dreams. <clears throat> and in addition, like I said, he can he can fill us, but but he works in us. He works in us through the divine character of God. And he and God, God has ordained that the Spirit of God manifest in us and that the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, all those things, those things, listen, God gave us those things. Those are fruits of his Spirit who who lives in us, and, and those things work through us to show other people that he's in us, and it blesses us along the way. The last part of verse 13 brings out another great truth. It says, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth." And they're in that order for a reason. It starts with God, and the process is carried through by the by the Holy Spirit. The our part is this: it's simple. Belief in the truth. Well, God showed me that Christ died for man. I believed. It. That that's our part. Uh, salvation and sanctification come because we're willing to trust and believe on the Savior. Sanctification, I'm sorry, salvation from the Lord delivers us from legalism or any kind of works-based salvation. When we trust God, listen, we understand. When we see that Christ did everything that's necessary, uh, all that other looks like trash, and we understand that there's only salvation in Christ. Can't nobody build a ladder to heaven. Can't nobody build a stairway to heaven. There ain't no good works. There ain't no religion. There ain't no church ordinance. There ain't no sacraments. There ain't nothing going to do it. I mean, works, are, works has a place. But works is not the way of salvation. Works are the fruit, not the root uh the, the fruits that refers to the Christian life and our testimony, but our salvation is not something that we do or we produce it's something that God does for us, and we receive it we don't we don't produce it, we just receive it, and we receive it by faith that God allowed us to have to believe in the first place so these Thessalonians they were called to believe in the in the in the salvation uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 14. He called them. They were called by the gospel. That means that God that means that God used to used to bring about the fulfillment of his choice with them. By the, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit and their belief in the truth. So that's how he did it. It, it. First of all, the Spirit of God drew them, and then when they saw it, they believed. It's pretty simple. It's not really complicated. Uh, you know, again, salvation is not difficult. Man makes it difficult, but God makes it very simple. God makes it very plain. And, you know, I mean, again, it being so simple, that's why Paul was so jealous over the gospel, because men won't try. I mean, you look at how many denominations are out there. You look at how many different uh, ideas about salvation there are out there. You look at how many cults there are out there. Man will take and mess salvation up every time. But God, again, God makes it so very simple. Paul said in 1 Corinthians fifteen one through 4 he told them that, that, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. It's pretty simple. Jesus did everything that was necessary. It's all done. It's all paid for. All a person has to do is believe it. And, you know, the sad thing is today, ain't too many people want to preach the gospel anymore. They'll preach anything else but the simple, plain gospel. I mean, it's, it's good news. God, God tells us it's good news that Christ, the Son of God, came and died on the cross for the sins of the whole wide world. I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to tell that message. And I don't know why people don't tell it more often. I don't know why Christians don't want to tell people that message. I mean, that's good news jesus came into this world he lived he died he was buried he rose the third great a third day in victory over the grave and he gave us newness of life and it was evidence that he's the son of god and it proves that salvation is real and that we can have it and it's simple it's in christ and him alone his resurrection demonstrated the power of god that, that that christ is god that he's not just any man he's he's deity he's christ he's, he's He's the Son of God. So as Paul wrote this letter, he thought back these truths. And he thought back to how they believed on them. And through believing the gospel, they had become gloriously and wonderfully saved. And he also took a look at the future. Look at verse 14. He says, where until he called us, he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they Remember something. Remember the circumstances of these folks, what kind of life they're, they're living at the moment, what they're going through. Again, they've lost everything they had, most of their, their family had disowned them if they'd not gotten saved, uh, lost jobs, they have lost all their, their, their friends and influence, they're, they're being host, hostily treated by those around them. Uh, you know, some of them are being threatened, some being beat up, some being locked up, some being killed. They're going through all that. They didn't have a whole lot down here to just look forward to every day. Okay? But what's he telling them? He's saying, listen, you're headed for glory. You're headed for glory. You're going through persecution now. And you know what? It may not get no easier anytime soon, but this is not the end result. You're headed for glory. He told them to lift their eyes up beyond their circumstances. He reminded them, when you get to heaven, you're going to inherit what Christ has. You're going to to share in his glory. Before God's done with you, before God's done with me, every one of us is going to be perfectly glorious. I know that seems hard to think of right now, that someday you're going to be perfect in his sight. Someday you're going to get to share in everything that that, that heaven holds, and it'll be yours, and you won't ever have to walk away from it or put it down. It's going to be yours. And throughout eternity, the Lord's church is going to be singled out as an example of what the grace of God can do by taking poor hell-bound sinners and transforming them into holy saints forevermore. Around the throne of God, we're going to give glory that He took us, who were who were lost and dead in our sins, and made us holy in His sight. I can't even I can't even fathom that, but that's but that's the reality of it. We, we by by the grace of God, by God's design, by God's will, we've been we've been transformed into the image of Christ. And that's glory. That's that's God's glory. That ain't our glory. That has nothing to do with us. That's God. And that, that's what God can do. Listen, I'm, I'm full of imperfections now. I'm a mess. I don't know about you, but I, I, I best I try to do, I fail. But when God's done with me, and someday he's going to be done with me, and when he's done with you, we're going to make up a perfect bride for the Lord Jesus Christ, that when we stand before him, he'll be glad to see us. He'll he'll embrace us. And nevermore will we ever have the taint of sin in our life. Praise God. I'm thankful this morning. I'm thankful that, that God has chosen us to salvation. Amen. Aren't you glad God chose you to salvation? Aren't you glad that he wooed you and he drew you and he showed you that you were lost and that you needed to be saved? And he'd done everything that was necessary for you to be saved. And in love he drew you. Praise God for that. And I want to say to anybody listening in to me this morning, if God is drawing you this morning, come to him, bow before him, say to him, Lord, I know that I'm lost, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you did everything necessary for me to be saved. I know that Jesus died for me, paid the price for my sin. I know that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead. He's alive forevermore. And I know that my sins are paid for. And by faith, I receive that payment. I receive that gift of God and believe and trust on Christ as my Savior. If somebody's in here needs to do that, somebody listening to me needs to do that, now's the time. Let's, let's turn it all over to God and let him have his way in our life. Sister, would you come? And let's sing a song of invitation. We're going to sing number 157. If you would, turn there in your book with me, 157. And we're going to have a quick word of prayer, and we're going to sing 157. And if God's moving on your heart today about something, you come and do business with God. We're going to sing, Jesus, Paid it all. Let's stand together. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for salvation through the blood. Thank you, Lord, that you grew us through yourself. Thank you, Lord, that you that you that you loved us enough that you sent Jesus to pay our debt, and Lord, that we have salvation through His blood. And I just thank you so much that you'll save them that have come to you by faith. And Lord, I just pray this morning, Lord, if somebody needs to come into business with you, I pray this be the day they do. Lord, please bless the invitation the now. Jesus. Amen. One
1: fifty-seven. He's gonna be on the moon He's gonna be on the give my it's gonna The present is He to be there Oh, to be Christ, my the leper's soul, tell the world's Jesus it all, love to my And as the Christmas came, he washed it white Praise God!
0: I'm sure thankful for my Savior today. So glad my Redeemer lives, Amen. So glad I'm I'm part of that redeemed, Hallelujah! I got something to be rejoicing about today, Hallelujah! I'm glad to be, I'm glad to be in church today. I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be in church. I'm glad I'm glad to be part of the redeemed, Hallelujah! And got something to shout about, something something to glory in, Hallelujah! Not anything to do with me, but what He's done for me. Praise God! Amen. Y'all ready to eat? Amen. I am too. Let's 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 go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask God to bless our food. We won't have service tonight, but I'll see you back here Wednesday night after we dismiss today. And uh, you, when we get out in this world, let's remember that we're believers. Let's don't forget that. Let's remember we got a duty to warn warn sinners of their fate and warn and warn them of the wrath to come and let them know that Jesus has provided salvation for them. Let's don't forget that we're to share that message. All right. Richard, why don't you lead us in prayer and ask for the blessing on the food, too. us
1: uh, here.